Welcome back to the Shema Podcast, my friends. You know, there's a theme I've been wanting to sort of stick with between now and, and Shavuos. It's something I brought up at Pesach Seder with my guest. I told them I had been thinking about the previous year, and it was like I was living in that movie Groundhog Day. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it's this movie with Bill Murray where he keeps waking up to the same day, and throughout the movie, he lives that day several hundred times before he finally gets it right. And I told them that's like what this last year looked like. It was like I was in the same episode, and I was telling Hashem, I've done this before, and I finally sort of understood what Hashem was telling me, and that was you were trying to change the circumstances. I'm the director. I'm wanting you to learn from this experience and grow. And the guests at the table said they had the same experience, a lot of Groundhog Days in the previous year. And I said, like, we got to really focus on those situations and asking the right questions, which is, what do I need to learn from this experience and get out of this episode? I don't need repeats. I don't need to waste time repeating the same scenario, and Hashem is more than likely to create a new episode for me. But there's something that came to mind as well, and that was that I choose topics that are there for me. They're very self-centered. You know, it's like, it's topics that will benefit me. Like recently I did being from in the business world. Why? Because I'm in the business world. But I had the opportunity to talk to my amazing nephew, Solomon. My nephew's in the military, the Army National Guard, and he got deployed to Kosovo. And one of the things he was telling me before he left was that he has turned my podcast on to a lot of other Jews that are in the military. And I know from talking to Rabbi Ari that he's received emails from Jews in the military as well. And I was thinking, this is a situation that is not an experience I've had. And these are Jews that are in situations where they're in the military, active combat, and I wanted to do something to help them. So I'm bringing on the, the great Rabbi Ari Wolby, who is a soldier himself in Hashem's army. So I asked him to come on and provide some wisdom to Jews who find themselves in such a situation. And I wanted to do this episode in the merit of my nephew, Shlomo Ben David, and all the Jews out there who are serving in the military, keeping us safe. And I'm certain that Rabbi Ari will provide some wisdom to you all on how to serve Hashem in challenging situations. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Rabbi Ari, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you, Dan. It's an honor to be here. It's a real privilege to be back on the remarkable Shema podcast. It's truly a privilege. I want to just start with an introduction, that, continuing your introduction that you gave. And I think it's, it's really brilliant because it's very easy in life to forget that every single day we have is that Groundhog Day all over again. It's starting all over the same exact day I had yesterday. I'm going to have tomorrow. And today is no different than it was a week ago. Well, it should be. But the problem is, is that if we don't change and elevate ourselves, 
then you're right. It's just another another day, another drag, another thing, just the same old, same old, just like it was. Take two, take three, or like me, take 20, let's do it again. <laughs> well, we, we, we have take 1,000 and take 5,000, and every day is supposed to be, and that's the, the goal of life is to have one perfect day. Imagine if we're able to have one perfect day or one time that we put on tefillin perfectly, one time that we're able to have the proper kavana in prayer, the proper intention in prayer, the one time that we're able to eat bread after reciting the blessing of hamotzi lechem in haaretz properly with the right focus, with the right intention, one time, just one time to do it perfectly. And wouldn't that be incredible? That is the challenge of life. And the challenge is not, you see, we get caught up with all of these unbelievable things that come up in our lives. And we have so many different scenarios that God, it's like God is this screenwriter and he's writing this, the script every day is a new challenge. And we think, oh, today I'm going to do this. And suddenly we get this challenge. We get this, this trial, this tribulation that comes our way. And it throws us off balance. God is like, I want to see if you're capable of standing on your feet. It's just like what we do, I'm sure, in the military. Suddenly they'll wake you up at four in the morning. They'll say, let's go, let's go, let's go on your feet. Why, why do they need that? Because they want you to be prepared for that perfect day when you're not going to be ready for something real that happens. We are all soldiers in Hashem's army. And our job is not to fight anyone other than our Yetzirah. Our Yetzirah is... In many different forms, he shows up. He shows up in a form of being a spouse sometimes. He shows up sometimes as a form of being a neighbor, a friend, someone driving in the road in front of you and, and testing your patience. The Yetzahara is always there to create new scenarios for us to show our greatness. So when we're entering into a world, preparing ourselves for the holiday of Shavuot, the holiday where we receive the Torah, which is really our wedding day. It's the day that the Jewish people got married to their betrothed God, creator of heaven and earth, where we said, as one nation, one soul unified, we said, we will do and we will listen. We're going to hear everything that God says. We're going to listen. But more than that, we have a commitment. It's just, it's exactly the way any of our engagements went. When you got engaged, you didn't have to give a whole litany of things to your soon-to-be wife or spouse saying, well, in two years, this is the challenge we're going to face. And in three years, this is the challenge we're going to face. And four years, no, it went with a solid commitment. I'm in through thick and thin, no matter what the challenges are, whether it's going to be dealing with illness, whether it's going to be dealing with livelihood, whether it's going to be dealing with any of the challenges with our children, with our with our own personal growth, our challenges that we might feel we might be locked in. That's part of what we said. Nase, we're in. Now, later on, we'll hear all the challenges that God sends our way. And God is going to continually send us more and more challenges. You know who doesn't have challenges? Dead people. Dead people have no challenges. They have no problem. They're there in the grave, and they don't have to worry about any other challenges, hopefully. Well, they, they don't have the opportunity to do mitzvot. That's correct. That's a problem. <laughs> right. So, so they, they lose that opportunity to, do, to have greatness and to overcome challenges. What I'm trying to get to is that this is life. Life is about those challenges. Now, many of us are in situations sometimes that we think that those challenges are insurmountable. It's something I can't overcome. It's something that's just too 
great for me to tackle. There's no such thing. It's something you need, my dear friends out there. There's no such thing as a challenge that you cannot tackle. God has given you a perfect challenge for you that's custom-made for you. Nobody else on planet Earth is going to have the exact challenge that you were gifted with. Which is why we say Monday at me in the morning to say, you're going to get a challenge. You don't know what it is, but I create it for you and you will overcome it. So we know we can overcome it. It's when we say, I'm giving thanks. Me, I am, for the challenge that you're giving custom made for me. It's not going to be the same challenge that anybody else has. So the, the first part of whatever we're going to talk about, and I'm looking forward to it, is recognizing that life is about overcoming. The, it, it, life is the struggles. That's what it is. The gift that God gives us in life, the opportunity to try again and try again and try again. And every single day that we wake up is Hashem saying, here, today's going to be a new challenge for you. It's going to be a new trial. You're going to perhaps succeed. You're going to perhaps fail. But you know what? God willing, tomorrow you're going to have another chance to redo it. I remember when I was in yeshiva in, in Jerusalem, and I remember I wanted to have a perfect morning. And what I mean by a perfect morning means waking up, not being frustrated at my roommates or the person waking us up, and, and just waking up with a smile, recognizing, saying modani, and washing my hands. And one of the things that was really important to me was not to talk before I prayed. So as we woke up, we would rush to the prayer hall, and we would daven. And to me, I wanted to have a perfect morning. A perfect morning means that I didn't get upset. I didn't get frustrated. I didn't talk prior to prayer. That was for me a perfect morning. Okay. And it took probably a year and a half till I finally got that first perfect morning. And that was just to get to prayer. <laughs> Wait, there's a lot of challenges after prayer. But you know what? Hashem loves us and Hashem wants us to grow and to keep on trying and to keep on, you know what, even falling. I was just talking with my study partner a few minutes ago and one of the things we were talking about is that everything that Hashem created in his world is round. You realize the globe is round, the stones are round, the trees are round, and you're going to say the leaves, the leaves grow from the tree, right? But Hashem created the trees, obviously he creates the leaves as well that come from it, but everything that was created by God was created round. All of the sun, the moon, and all of the other planets, they're all round. Everything is round, and everything goes in a circular motion. Why? Because Hashem is constantly reminding us and giving us encouragement. You might have a day that you're at the bottom, but don't worry. It's a cycle. One day you'll be at the top. And we don't get depressed and don't go, don't go, don't beat yourself up like I can't believe it. I wasn't successful. I tried to keep Shabbos and I and I don't believe it. I I failed. I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. It's that that it's gonna come around again. You're gonna have another opportunity. And God willing, God will grant us that opportunity to do it again and to try again and improve slowly and improve again a little bit more and a little bit more. And I, I believe that every time we see something round, it should be a sign of encouragement to us that guess what? Hashem believes in us and Hashem is going to give us another opportunity to perfect ourselves and to get closer to him and to try again and to try again and to try again. And God willing, we'll all be successful in attaining that perfection. There's a very idea behind Rosh Kodesh, right? That remind ourselves this constant renewal. So let's get into this. We have fellow Jews out there in the military. They are just beginning to learn, listening to podcasts. And obviously they're in a situation where they can't, you know, say, especially in active deployment, oh, I'm going to keep Shabbos now. It's not something they can do. Or can't start eating kosher now. Or learning Torah, their schedule is being determined by 
the, the task at hand. So what can you share as far as what the halakha is around this and what they can be doing and, and how to navigate the situation? I will say for those of us who are not in the military, I suspect there's something we're all going to learn from this as well. So this is an amazing thing. In 1910, I think it was, 1910, in the 10s, in the 20s, there was a big problem that a lot of the Jewish boys were being taken into the army, into the Soviet army. And the biggest challenge then was that once they went into the army, they were done with Judaism. It was over. So a kid grew up in a beautiful Jewish family, but was taken into the army against his will. He had no choice. And now what? Now he's uh, serving the, the Russian military. And there was obviously no kosher, and there was no care or concern uh, that they're Jewish, and uh, they were treated just like any other Russian. So the Chavetz Chaim wrote a book guiding the soldiers. Now, I'm ill-prepared because I didn't read that book last night prior, prior to t- today's <laughs> podcast, and I probably should. But the first thing is that everybody needs to know that within them exists a spark of the Almighty, you need to remember every day, wherever you go, you are not just a person in the army. You're not just a person out in the business world. You're a person who's a representative of the Almighty, where God resides within you. And if a person is able to just have that knowledge, that presence of mind, that every day they know, Hashem is right here with me. Wherever I am, I'm in Afghanistan, I'm in Kosovo, or wherever I am, Hashem is with me. And one of the most remarkable things, I'll share with you a quick story. In 1998, I traveled to to the Ukraine, and I was going there to run a summer program, sort of like a military duty, right? Hashem puts us in this world. He says, I'm going to give you challenges. You're going to have to succeed in them. And so I I was heading to the Ukraine. I landed in Kiev on a, a Wednesday afternoon, and I came with a visa the way I came all the previous times, to Ukraine. It wasn't my first time there. I think it was my third or fourth time there. And as I get to the border patrol, the guy's like, no, 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 no. It's not the right visa. You don't have the right visa. So I'm looking here. There's a whole line of people. We all have the same exact visa. We came on an education visa. It was like an invitation from the education department. And then they recognize that at the border, they give you the visa and you come in. That week on Monday, they changed the law that U.S. passport holders only cannot enter with that visa. But everybody else who was with me came from the U.S. And everybody else was allowed in except for me. They saw that I was Jewish and they say, deportatia, and they say, you're deported. And they sent me back to, I flew through Frankfurt. And I went, I I flew back to Frankfurt. They put me back on the Lufthansa flight. And here I am, I land in Frankfurt at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't, I don't know anybody in, in, in Germany. Like, literally, I don't know anybody. I, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And I, 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 it's, like, it's just me, uh, an 18-year-old boy, who's literally never been you know, that far away from his parents right. to begin with. And, and now I'm in Germany in a foreign land. I know they killed my grandparents and their parents and uh, millions of others. I, I'm not really in the, in the greatest place in the world. And... I called up the organization I was working for in New York and I told them, I said, guys, this is the story. I was deported and I need you to set me up. They said, we have a student who lives in Frankfurt. He'll come pick you up and he'll take care of you. 
Either way, I needed to get to Bonn, which is about four hours away from Frankfurt, to get my visa. I get there, and it was I had one shot at getting my passport updated with a proper visa, which was Thursday morning in Bonn at the Ukrainian embassy. That was my only shot to make it back to Ukraine on time for Shabbos. That was my hope. And I'm supposed to be running this camp, okay? So this camp is starting without me. And I get to the embassy. I had a driver drive me out to Bonn. I get to the embassy. And guess what? Like all things in Ukraine, it's a holiday. And a holiday means that everybody's drunk. So I get there. The security guard is totally wasted. And I, I ring the bell. And he's like, you know, coming from his slumber. And he says, sorry, we're closed today. Today's a holiday. Today's a holiday. And my driver turns to me and he says to me, we should just head back to Frankfurt because it's a holiday. These guys are all drunk. There's no way in the world that we are going to get a visa today. There's just no way. So what do I do? Here I am in middle of literally no place. Like I don't know anybody in Bonn. I don't know anybody other than the people I slept by the night before in Frankfurt. I don't know a single soul. But you know who I do know? I know our father in heaven. And I told the guy, I said, please sit over here in the car and I want you to do me a favor. Just be patient. I went out of the car and I walked up and down the block and I said every single prayer that I knew by heart. I didn't even, I prayed that morning in the shul. I put on my tefillin, I daven, and I left my stuff there. So I didn't even have a prayer book with me. Whatever I knew, I said by heart. I said, I'm talking to you, Hashem, Hashem, please. I'm doing this to help your children. I'm doing this for your sake. I need your help. I need your intervention. I need you to do something for me. I need you to change the nature of this world so that I can get my visa, so that I can go help your children back in the Ukraine. And I'm walking up and down the block, and a few weeks earlier in yeshiva, I had given a chabura, which is like a a deep Talmudic expose on on a topic, and I, I reviewed that whole thing. I said, Hashem, the Torah changes nature. The Torah changes nature. Here, I'm, I'm giving all the Torah, probably the most Torah that's ever been learned in Bonn, in Germany. I said, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm, I, I need all the merits I can get. I come back to the car and I tell the driver, I said, I'm going to try it again. He, say, he starts laughing at me. He says, you're wasting your time. He says, these people are so drunk. They, they forget it. I ring the doorbell and the consular general of the Ukrainian embassy opens the door. So I said to him, hi, good morning. I know it's a holiday, and I know that it's not a good time. I said, but let me explain to you. I said, I am on my way to Ukraine. I was in Ukraine yesterday. I'm an American citizen, and I didn't have the right visa. I need a visa. And I say, I'm saying, Hashem, Hashem, please, Hashem, Hashem is our God, right? There's no one but Hashem. And I'm whispering these words while I'm talking to him and explaining to him what's going on. I'm showing him my passport, and he's looking through my passport and page back and forth, page back and forth. I said, there's no one other than Hashem. There's no one other than Hashem. And he says to me, listen, I've never done this before. This is not even my job, okay? I sign the papers. I don't prepare the papers. He says, but down the block, there's a bank. If you pay the bank the money for this visa, I think it was like $150, you go and you're back in 10 minutes, I'll have your visa ready for you. I ran as fast as I could down the block. I come back 10 minutes later, I have my visa and... I had my passport and I showed the guy and he's like, the the driver could not believe it. He says, I've never in my life seen such a thing. He says, these are Ukrainians. These people are drunk all day. (laughs) I mean, how is it possible that you had such a thing? And And I have only one way to attribute it. 
There's no place that a person can go on planet Earth that Hashem is not there right there with you. Everywhere you go, you know what? You're in Kosovo. You're not estranged from Hashem. Oh, I wish I could be in the Torch Center in Houston, Texas, and I can learn with the rabbis, and we can open up the books, and we can study. You know what? Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is everywhere you are. There's no such thing, which is why I also say when people are traveling, your standards shouldn't change. I was once on vacation with my wife, and I met someone who, by the looks of it, looks like they are typically a religious Jew. And, you know, I met them in a kosher restaurant, and they asked me where we're going the next day. I told them where we were going, and he was there with his wife. So we told them that we were planning a certain trip. They said, you know, we're going to go on that trip as well. And they ended up coming on the trip with us. And I was shocked and horrified. The next day, when they came on the trip with us, the wife, who's a religious woman, was not dressed modestly at all, like not even remotely modestly. And I was, it, to me, it, it hurt me. It, it pained me. It pained me because they wouldn't walk around like that in their community. They wouldn't walk around like that. They knew anybody else. I'm in vacation. I'm on vacation. God's not here. <laughs> and I think that it's such a tragic thing for a person to not recognize that just because I'm on vacation doesn't mean God's on vacation. Just because I'm away from home doesn't mean that God isn't right there with me. He's right there with me. Wherever I am, God is there with me. And there's no such thing. So I think the first thing is having a conscious recognition that Hashem is always there with me. No matter where you are, you don't have a book to study from, it's okay. You can talk to Hashem. My grandfather had to run away from Poland. He was in yeshiva in the mirror in Poland when the war broke out. He gets a letter saying, as a German citizen, my grandfather was born in Berlin. He's from, he was from Germany. As a German citizen, all German citizens need to evacuate and leave the country immediately. So where's my grandfather going to go? See, he ran away to Sweden. Sweden was a neutral country, and he was able to stay there. He was there for nine years. There were no rabbis there. There were no shuls there. There were no yeshivas there. There were no good influences there. Most of the people that came there and ran away who were Jews, most of them intermarried and were gone. They were gone. Even some of them were rabbis. He said that every single day he didn't stop contemplating or recognizing that Hashem was right there with him. And his greatest growth of his entire life was those nine years that he was in Sweden. Away from yeshiva, he didn't have a chavrusa, a study partner to learn with. He didn't have a rabbi to listen to lectures to. He didn't even have these fabulous Shema podcasts to listen to or the Jewish Inspiration podcast. He didn't have anything other than his relationship with Hashem every single day. He said his greatest growth were those nine years that he was away from humanity and had nothing other than his own inspiration and connection from within with Hashem. So now... That's step number one. Ein od milvado, there's nothing other than Hashem that exists in our world. And a person needs to repeat it. It's just three words. Ein od milvado, there's nothing but Hashem in the world. Yes, someone says a, a nasty comment to you. Ein od milvado, it's Hashem sending them as a messenger to teach me something. Someone is rude to you in the supermarket. Ein od milvado, it's a message from Hashem. Someone is telling me something through Hashem. Hashem is using them as a vehicle for me to be inspired, for me to learn a lesson. And a person should never let go of those three words. So wherever you are, first is thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you do to protect our freedoms. I say this in my class all the time here. I say, do you realize what a privilege it is that we're living in a country, the only nation on earth that hasn't persecuted the Jewish people for learning Torah? 
The British persecuted us. The Romans, the Spanish, the French, the Russians. There was never a nation that didn't persecute us for being Jewish and for observing our Torah. Come to America. Look, we have unbelievable freedoms, freedom of religion, the freedom of expression. You can sit, stand at the street corner and talk Torah all day and you're free. No one's going to have you. No one's going to burn you at the stake and, and they're going to allow you to serve your creator. It's an unbelievable gift. And it's only because we have such a remarkable military that goes out there and fights our battles and protects our freedoms. And for that, we're forever grateful and forever indebted. Absolutely. What else would you advise? So that, I mean, the first thing you just said was probably the most important thing for absolutely for sure, most important for all of us. But what would you advise for anyone who's wanting to pick up any level of other mitzvot when they're out in that situation? I, I, I assume there's just not much you can really do. And I do know that according to Halakha, when it comes to saving a life, things like Shabbos are suspended. Correct. Yom Tov. Right. Talk about so, that. so anytime you're you're involved in the arena of saving lives, you need to do everything you can, notwithstanding that it may be Shabbos. So, for example, if someone is a first responder, whether it be with Hatzalah, like we have here in our community and in many many Jewish communities around the world, or if it be someone in the military, when it's involving saving a life, you have to suspend Shabbos for the act of saving a life. Now, that doesn't mean we do anything extra. That isn't required. We try to do everything we can to not desecrate the Shabbos. But if it's unavoidable, a person needs to do the best they can. Hashem doesn't mark our score based on other people. Hashem marks our score based on us, on the best that we can possibly do. Now, if a person is able to learn and to refresh their knowledge and understanding of Shabbos, that's great. But I, I want to I just step back a little bit. Okay. That we have three fundamental principles in Torah observance. They're Shabbos, kosher, and tefillin. So a person who's able to put on tefillin every weekday morning, not on Shabbos, if someone is put on, able to put on tefillin, it's an unbelievable sign that we have in, an, in our agreement with the Almighty. We have three special signs. One is the bris. Bris, hopefully, we all got at our eighth day of life, we got our circumcision, and that's an eternal bond between us and Hashem. The other sign is tefillin. If a person is able to put on tefillin every day, wrap them on, his, on their arms, wrap on, their, on your arm and on your head, that is superb. And that I highly recommend. If you don't have tefillin, please reach out to me or to Dan. Reach me at awolbe at torchweb.org, A-W-O-L-B-E at torchweb.org. Or you can reach Dan at president at torchweb.org. And we will do everything we can to assist you in getting a pair of tefillin and to put them on every day. And it takes about five minutes max. You put them on, you say the Shema, and you take them off. That's it. That's step number one. Shabbos is the other sign. So we have three signs. The bris, which is constant. We have the tefillin, which is daily. And then we have Shabbos, which is on the weekend, which is every Shabbos we take a day off. Now, if someone's not able to, so it's important for them to at least do something special for Shabbos. If you're able to light candles, if you're able to recite the Kiddush, to do whatever you are able to do. But there's something else that we mentioned, which is kosher. And if a person is able to keep kosher, and it's not easy because I'm sure a lot of the food that they serve in the military is not kosher. 
So are we able to eat maybe just uh, to become vegetarians for the time that we're there? I, it may not be pleasant. It may not be enjoyable. But there's a special power in keeping kosher that keeps us holy. The Torah, when the Torah, just recently in our Torah portions that we read in Leviticus 11, when it talks about kosher, it talks about be holy because I am holy. What, what does kosher have to do with being holy? And what we explained here in our classes was that food is not a physical substance that keeps our physical body alive alone. That's not the only function. Food is spiritual sustenance. Food keeps your neshama fresh. And when you have food that is not pure, like pork and all of those things that the Torah says not to eat from unkosher animals, when a person is able to sustain themselves with things that are kosher, they're not only sustaining their physical body in a proper way, they're sustaining their soul in a proper way. So I think if it's possible for a person to take even one step, to take one of the foods that are not okay out of their menu, I think they'll feel a spiritual connection on a higher level just from that one step. So whatever small thing that a person is able to do to wash their hands uh, appropriately in the morning, to take some mitzvah, one or two mitzvahs that they're able to, and to make that mitzvah a special mitzvah for themselves. Okay. So the, the whole idea here, too, is that one of the things that Jewish people have is direct governance by the Almighty. That's right. There are no intermediaries. We have no conduits. We don't go and confess our sins to a priest. We talk directly. I had once here in my class, someone says, Rabbi, I need to confess. I'm like, sorry, wrong religion. <laughs> this is not the religion where you confess to the rabbi or to the priest. You talk directly to Hashem. So that's correct. Right. And one of the things I think Hashem wanted to demonstrate to us as we were walking through the sea is that when the Torah and, and doing these mitzvot are ways of connecting to him, which elevates us beyond our mazel, this sort of predestined life that we may have. And so all these little things, doing just the little tiny things, saying I'm choosing to serve my creator is creating this connection that's put you on that level that you're getting direct oversight by the Almighty that will keep you safe and, and protect you. And protect you. There are, like Dan is saying, every mitzvah that we are able to do, a small little precious mitzvah that we do, is an extra safety net that we put into our lives. Does that mean that someone who observes the Torah is not going to have any harm or any anything done to them? No. Hashem could decide that this is the right time for a person's life to end, and that's when it ends. Ah, but he's a God-fearing Jew. It doesn't make a difference. Everybody's got a time and everybody's got a place. However, every mitzvah that we do adds an extra level of, I would say, convincing God that we're a valued asset in his world. We're a valued asset because we're bringing God's light into this world. Every mitzvah that we perform, a mitzvah means that we're connecting with God. A sin means that we're disconnecting from God. And what we're trying to do is infuse this world with as much holiness. We're trying to infuse this world with as much godliness as possible. And when a person is able to recognize that every mitzvah I do, as big or as small as it may be, it's bringing Hashem's presence into this world. For myself, that's the main thing, and for anyone else who, who gets inspired in the process. So not to think, well, oh, it's just a little thing. I want to share with you. I had a woman right here at the Torch Center. 
She came over to me after learning probably for about 10 years she was in class and coming class after class after class. And she says to me one day, she says, Rabbi, I'm in. You tell me what to do and I do it. I'm in. No more convincing. I'm good. Just tell me what to do. I want to be a religious Jew. So I told her, I said, it's very nice. We're going to have to take small steps. I said, I want you to take one light switch in your house and take a piece of tape, put it on the light switch before Shabbos, and this is your Shabbos light that you don't turn on or turn off. That is your Shabbos observance. She says to me, that's it? That's it? I said, that one little step. Take that one little step. This is your Shabbos light. This doesn't go on or off the entire Shabbos. Okay. I said, tell me when it's not an issue anymore and it's easy for you to do that. A few weeks later, probably two months later, she comes back to me. She says, Rabbi, that's it. I have it down pat. I put that tape on. Everybody knows in the, in the house. We don't touch this light switch. This light switch is a Shabbos light. Nobody turns it on or off the entire Shabbos. I said, excellent. You ready for the next thing? She says, I'm ready for the next thing. I said, take another light switch. And it was just a matter of time. It probably took a, a journey of a year or so or two, and she became completely Shabbat observant. It's small steps that makes the big impact. We sometimes think like, oh, I have to do something grand. I have to do something really big, something significant. No, 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 no. It's the small steps. And don't be discouraged by something which is just just so small. Every day I'm just going to say, ain't od milvado. There's nothing but Hashem. And think about it. No matter where you are, no matter what the challenge is, Hashem is always there with me. It's just three words, Rabbi. Come on, it's not, you know, something small. The small has a big impact. And that's my encouragement to each and every one of you. I hope you come visit us here at the Torch Center. Come visit us here in Houston. I'd love to greet and give you each a hug and thank you for your service. But don't be discouraged by small things. The small things matter. But we're able to bring in extra heavenly powers into our lives when we do things the way that is prescribed by our Torah. Thank you, Rabbi. And I think that's the one thing I wanted to sort of crystallize a little more to, to leave with those listening is that something I discussed at the Pesach Seder once again. We were, we were, I was talking about the beauty of the Torah we got at Mount Sinai versus the Torah we had before Mount Sinai. And the, the Torah we had post-Mount Sinai was there were physical mitzvot. And the Shabbos before Pesach, we got the first taste of that where we had to bring in a, was it a lamb? Yeah. Yeah, we brought in a lamb, tied it to our bedpost, what, what, three, four days? Yeah, it was, it was four days, and the Egyptians were coming and saying, what are you doing with our idols? Why are you tying them to your bedposts? I said, no, 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 this is not our idol. Hashem is our creator. We follow Hashem. We don't follow the lamb. And they, were, they knew that this was going to be their, their, their decree of death because the death of the firstborn was impending. But you think about... They're serving Hashem by keeping a barnyard animal tied to their bedposts, listening to it make all types of noise, I'm sure going to the bathroom, needing to feed it. It's not like something you like, it's not some holy, you know, endeavor. You're not, you know, going in this deep meditation, but that's what Hashem gave us. It's the opportunity to humble ourselves and says, we don't necessarily understand why you're telling us to do this physical thing like, I recognize that you are my creator. You have infinite intelligence. I have finite intelligence. And by humbling ourselves and taking physical actions and doing it the way the Almighty prescribes, 
that is what humbles us and creates a vacuum that allows the Almighty to come in closer to us. I think that's the whole idea with these physical mitzvot, even though they don't make sense to the outside world. That's exactly what's happening. So all these little things, like Rabbi already saying, is they bring connection, they humble you in the presence of your Creator, and that's what creates that connection. I want to add something. Is that to me, it, it, it triggered me this year when I was thinking about that the Jewish people had to put the blood on their doorposts. And what does the Torah tell us? So that Hashem will know that that's where the Jewish people live. <laughs> Hashem knows everything. We need to tell Hashem that we live there. Like, what, what in the world is really going on? What is this symbolism, so to speak, that we're putting the blood of of the sacrificial lamb on our doorpost that God knows to spear us and not to kill our firstborn because a Jew lives here? What 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 is really going on here? So to to me, it suddenly it's very very clear. Hashem didn't need us to know, need to know where we live. He knows where we live. He knows who's a Jew, who's not a Jew. Hashem wants us to demonstrate that we're not hiding our Judaism. Put it on your doorpost. Wear it as a badge of honor. Let me see that you have no shame in serving the serving God, serving the Creator of heaven and earth. That will give you the ticket to warrant you being saved from Egypt. And that was what we needed to demonstrate. You want to become free people? You have to live freely. You have to live without being ashamed, without being embarrassed of serving God. Go out there and be proud. Don't hide your Judaism, my dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters. You go out there and be proud. Wear your yarmulke and don't be ashamed of it. Feel it. Use it as a badge of honor. Ah, I'm I have the privilege to serve Hashem. And you know what? And those who mock you, the first halacha in Shulchan Aruch, the first halacha in the code of Jewish law is don't be ashamed by those who mock you. The first halacha should say, oh, this, that, whatever. The first thing, don't be ashamed. People are going to mock you. People are going to say, oh, filthy Jew. I had that said to me. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I had non-Jews knock off my yarmulke. I had non-Jews call me filthy Jew. I've had all of those things. So I'm going to hide it? I'm not going to hide it. On the contrary, I'll pronounce it even stronger. Hashem wants us to demonstrate that he is the primary in this world, that he is our God, not our own feelings, not our own desires and temptations that we're going to give in to. No, 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 no. Hashem is our God. And when we're able to declare it with pride, with joy, then the nations of the world will truly respect us. When we try to hide it, they don't like that. Your, our job is to be a light unto the nations, for the nations of the world to see us as an example, as representatives of what it means to be a God-fearing human being, what it means to be a representative of the Almighty on planet Earth. And hopefully each of you do it in your own unique, special way to bring God into your lives, to have God present every day where you're not afraid to wear it as a badge of honor. I'm a Jew. And I'm not going to hide from it. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Dan. I hope that uh, we're able to learn and connect further every single day in our journey towards Shavuot. Hopefully, every single day will be exceedingly greater heights of spirituality, of growth, of connection with the Almighty Hashem. So bless us all that we should merit to that canopy, to that wedding that we have with Hashem on Shavuot. should be an unbelievable celebration in Jerusalem, our rebuilt temple. Amen. Beautiful. Amen. And wherever you find yourselves on Shavuos, 
Hashem is there, as Rabbi Ari is saying. The opportunity to connect to his Torah is there. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Rabbi Ari, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for giving me this tremendous privilege. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.